Welcome to a special recorded edition of On the Homefront. I'm John Murphy, usually with you live on WILI every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. at 1400 a.m. or 95.3 digital FM. Our programs are also on the WILI radio YouTube channel as a public service to help our guests connect with you 24-7 on any device and so they can share their stories in their own media. For this week, I'll feature three recorded segments from recent programs with people who have made or who are making important contributions to the quality of life in our community. The first conversation features Tom King, the publisher of Neighbors, our regional monthly newspaper. Tom explains the unique role and purpose of local community journalism and how you can participate. Next up is Victoria Nimorowski, who joined us in the studio just as she was about to retire from decades of service at WAME, the Wyndham Area Interfaith Ministry. We close with a deep dive into Connecticut and Wyndham history with local author Michael Westerfield. Matt Rupar is my co-producer for this series, and we want to thank you for listening to our programs this year for sharing feedback and suggestions, and we especially want to thank our family of guests who provide the heart and soul of these programs every week. If you have news or information to share, or if you'd like to be a guest, just use email and we'll make a plan. My email for this program is john at humanartsmedia.com. That's john at humanartsmedia.com. Okay, enough for the intros. It's time to hear three of my special guests from 2023. Enjoy. Well, sitting next to me is Tom King. He's the owner-publisher of Neighbors, a wonderful community resource, print journalism, our local paper for many, many years. It's available in over 22 towns all around the area in print. Tom happened to bring the December issue by coincidence today. And it's online at neighborspaper.com. And one of the things I'm happy to have Tom here for now is to talk about the website and how it's growing. So, Tom, first of all, I always want to thank you for what you're doing to help with local journalism and helping a community talk to itself. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for, for home for your show over the many, many years you've been doing it. Yeah. And, and we're all trying to get the word out that it might not be seen or heard in other places. Um, but yeah, the, um, we now have a blogs on the website, so it's a work in progress. Right. Our webmaster Steve Warren, he's from Vern, he's been helping me for many years. You bet. Uh, we're working to get many of the regular contributors in blogs, because I, I don't know anything about all this stuff. He takes care of it. But anyways, what I do is I'll, I will take the articles, send them to him. He will put them in each writer's blog and right. the way it works is the last uh article will be the first one that pops up when someone clicks on that writer it's nice i've been there and then you see the previous articles yes very nice yes yeah. and and so uh we've gone back i think we started in september i'm pretty sure september or, or maybe october i think september but anyways um yeah that's the way it's working it's you know it's not perfect yet well we're yeah. doing a lot of, he's doing a lot of work to get it Get where we need it to be, um, but it's it's there, and and I think it's a good thing. Say if you have a certain, uh, you, especially if there's new readers come on board, you know they look, oh, I like the way I like this person, the way this person writes, or whatever. Yeah. And, and I like to say I like Dahlia Berlin. I want to see more of what she writes. And while having it go through all the archives and all the, you can just boom hit Dahlia Berlin. That's really boom, nice. she's there. That's right. 
I know recently, uh, you know, Dean Fiora, Dean Farrell, who does great radio, does uh, in the history of soul music. So every month is a different figure in their history. So you get the current one. But if you go back, it's like 25, 30 issues of history all in one spot. You don't have to search every issue. Yes. That makes it really nice for people to connect to the writers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing. So uh, we're working on that. Um, the next issue is a buy. Is a, uh, we do two bi-monthlies. I, I changed this up last year yeah. um, to give myself and the writers a break, basically. Yeah. So um, we're doing, we do a January, February, or July, August. And so, um, well, um, I'd like to just mention to groups out there who have any events going on in January, February, even the first couple of weeks of March, let us know so we can get in the January, February issue because there will be no separate February issue. Right. Um, in fact, let me ask you while you're on that. Uh, how can people get material ready for you in the best way so you can use it? When you have to edit, you put it all together, you've got to figure out space and lay out all the physical things of the page. And if they just send a long press release, they have no idea what happens on your end, right? right. How can people get things ready for you to make a good submission? Um, it's, the, I look for, we look for our, any articles really, but sometimes we get some that are just, you know, two, two, three thousand words and we just can't do anything with an article that big. Right. You know, someone could write something, maybe seven, eight hundred words or maybe a thousand words and we can pare it down a little bit. But I, I do very little editing. Right. Um, I, 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 I take try. a look at it. We, we now have a copy editor who's been on board for a few years, uh, Gary Cass from Stores, and, and he is great. He's semi-retired. He did this professionally out in the Midwest at a university. Wow, that's and great. So I send him a lot of stuff. He goes through and he fax checks, things like that, gets it back to me. So... Um, but if somebody wants, you know, they get, I get some articles that are in the body of an email because people don't have a word processing program. And I say, that's fine. Or, or on their send it to me on their phone. That's fine. Um, basically, what I'll do is I'll just click and drag it into Word and format, for, format as a Word document. Yeah. And then I bring it into InDesign, which is the uh, software that I use to lay out the paper. Yeah, that's your so, software. Uh, but the main thing is just get people to send something. Don't be, you know, intimidated by it. Just uh, put your words down on paper. I've had several. I, every once in a while, I get a get a handwritten thing on, on this couple pieces of scrap here from a gentleman. He's got I don't know how old he's, but he's got to be up there from from Wyndham Center, and and uh, he just writes this stuff down and he sends it in, and I'm I'm able to type it out and put wow. it in. That's cool. Well, that way the mail is always something fun, you know. There's no two days alike. There's always yeah. something in there, right? Yeah. It's so it, it's good, but it, I, I just inc I'm encouraging people to write. And we have we have the demographics of our writers are now or we have a lot of writers who are in their 60s and 70s, and yeah. so I'm trying to get more younger writers. And slowly but surely, we're yeah. adding some younger writers. Yeah. Um, I've, over the last couple of years, I've contacted a couple of area high schools and, and emailed their, their because uh, especially I know Yale Smith has uh, as a school newspaper. It's an online paper. Yeah. And the kids write great articles. And so I, I tried to contact a teacher at that time. I don't know if that person's still there, but said, well, we don't really do this kind of thing. And so I'm kind of just shout out to the, to the kids themselves. If they write articles, send them to me. You there know? you go. Send me send me some articles. You don't have to go through someone in your department or someone. You you can write. Send me an article. Send him a poem. Send me a poem. We love poetry. There was a time when I was asking for poetry, poetry, poetry. Hardly got any poetry. That was going back years, but you last several years. I mean, we, it's like every month I have like two or three poems in there, and, and it's great. I love it. 
You know, in case you've joined us on the radio, we're talking to Tom King, the publisher of Neighbors right now. And I wanted to mention something that I've been working with Tom for a few years, trying to get some extra funding to add Spanish content. I've talked about a grant that we're trying to get for this radio show to use the show to produce some radio and audio in Spanish for our huge and growing and very diverse Latino-Hispanic community. And we tried to get funding so Tom can get people published in Spanish, young writers in Spanish. Because when people see other people of their own in print, it opens the door differently than reading somebody else's stuff. Yes. Yes, it does. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And uh, um, I also need photos. I always need photos. I put a big thing in the paper a few months ago, photos. Please send me photos. You mentioned that, yeah. I, I got a bunch that one time, yeah. and then it just dried right up. You know, so I, I think I need to put something in the paper every month and say, look, we still need photos. So oh, people yeah. will say, and especially this, these days, everybody's got a smartphone. Yeah. The smartphones t- can take great photos. They can. And just boom, and, and you just yeah. click and send it to me, done. You know, there's none, and so I encourage. I'm encouraging people to to send photos, just people photos or architectural photos, whatever, whatever you like. Just send me some photos. I I, I like to get photos and and put them in the paper. Don't be shy. Now yes. we'll get into issues of funding because this is a free paper to us. We get this every month all over the area. It's a gift every month, every 30 days. I keep it around the house because. It could take a month to go through. There's so many articles in here. You can keep it around and kind of browse once in a while. But since you started the paper many years ago now, I mean, now there's color. Tom has tried different kinds of paper formats. But overall, how is funding going? I know it's tight, but you know, compared to 10 years ago, are you finding businesses more willing than before? That To think the idea of local journalism is something that they're thinking about more than before? Um, uh, to some extent, yes. Yeah. I mean, of course, social media, you know, businesses are looking to put stuff on social media, Facebook or whatever, you know, to promote their business, things like that. So yeah. print, print's been taking a beating for, for many years. Yeah. Um, and I'm compared to 10 years ago, but it's, it's better. It's better now than it was 10 years ago. Um, I still, thank God, I still have the, the, the advertisers I have around this area that just say, you know, they're loyal. Go, just leave it. Just leave it there. Yeah. Send me a bill. We're yeah. good. Um, and one time I thought, well, this would be a nice little part-time retirement job. Well, it's really, <laughs> it's it's been a great. I really enjoy doing it. I love it. You it know? shows. And it shows. it's it, it's it's almost a nonprofit. <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind yeah. of a low. I think of it as a low-profit business. Yeah. You know? So and that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I don't. You know, I don't need the money to put food on the table to, from this paper. I just now I just want to get it out there every. Ten times a year and, and let it go. That's why you call it a labor of love. You see, that's the, that's yeah. the other equation that we lose track of. And, and that's it, the way too, too, John. Is it's like you and all yeah. the other writers. Yeah. you never you don't get a paycheck from me. It's that's all right. volunteer. Yeah, all the writers, and it covers. If you haven't read one, you should because if you're into education, there's education. If you're into farming and agriculture, it's in there. If you're into art, it's in there. Uh, so it's all aspects of community life, especially for new people that come in here. With two schools, people are always coming into this area. Yes. And it's one really nice way to get to know it like a local. And maybe you feel more at home when you walk around. Because Tom says the paper is serving the inhabitants and environment of northeastern Connecticut and beyond. Uh, 
What have you noticed in the writers that come to you and the stories they tell? Have you seen changes in who's coming to you to participate or who's kind of maybe, well, they, they wrote it for a while and they kind of want to move on and do other things? How's that gone? Yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah. we get some. Well, we have there's been several people have sent us articles, and it's there should be a one shot deal. Never sure. hear from them again, or hell, someone will write two or three articles here, and that's fine. That's um, okay too, right? Yeah, it's great. So that's great. Right. One one article, I'll never write send another one. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, fortunately, we have a lot of writers who care about the environment, care about the community, and they'll write about that just about every month. You know, like Loretta Robel or Phoebe Godfrey, right? Uh, Delia Brown. We have many writers. Uh, uh, Bill Powers. I could go on and on. We have a lot of writers who write, care about this community and write about this community and the good things that are going on in this community. And I'm always encouraging people to send in stuff like that because, well, we all know the, the Chronicle is not what it used to be. And, and, so, and print in general is not what it used to be. And some people just don't like looking at an iPad for all their to read. You know, they want to sit down yeah. <laughs> somewhere, maybe in the house, <laughs> yeah. with a with a, something they can open and hold in their hands. And, uh, that, and that's what we do. Do you know in maybe New England, there are networks of publishers and editors. Are there other kinds of people that are similar to yours in the region where people are kind of walking the low-profit, non-profit side, uh, trying to keep it scaled local? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I didn't. I like 25 years ago. I would go to these. They would have, well when the broadcaster was still cooking. That's right. You know they. I, um, they would. There would be seminars, stuff like that, out of state. That and I went to a couple of those, and there were a lot of free. It was a call. It was free paper. I think it was in the name of the organization or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that a lot of different free papers, and then that kind of. Oh, those. Oh, some of them were weeklies, I guess. It yes, a lot of them were weeklies, right. and mine was different because it was a monthly right and so most of those are weeklies most of those a lot of advertising many of those were direct mailed which i could never afford i checked that out early on and was like oh my yeah. god how can people you know i don't want to be an ad salesman 40 50 hours a week uh, and so yeah i had i figured if the, the main the way i thought about it back then was if uh, concentrating on producing something quality and it will circulate itself and knock on wood, it's, it's worked so far. Yeah, it sure has, Tom. It's worked really well. And again, every issue is online. There's an archive you can go back if you want to track an issue. You'll find if you go back over some issues, you'll find some interesting news. Some stuff gets in there that maybe won't get in other papers just because they don't have the time or space for it. So, Tom, I thank you for all the good work you do throughout the year and for all the people here. And during 24, we'll try to get a few more of the writers. And we had some this year. We'll try to get a few more so you hear how local writers are trying to find a way to do their work without the pressure of cranking out daily deadlines, which, of course, is how journalists take care of their jobs. But this is a different kind of writing. It's a lot more open-ended. Yeah. 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 But thanks very much for all the work and everything, Tom. Thank you for your work, John. I appreciate you having me on. All right, so the website, one last time, is neighborspaper.com. If you go there, the whole story is there, along with all the new blogs. And check it out during the year as Tom keeps building up content. We'll be able to have more stories for you. I'm very happy to share the studio with Victoria Nimorowski. She's the director at WAME, the Wyndham Area Interfaith Ministry. I've had you on for many years, Victoria, and it's nice to have you back now. Nice to be back. 
John, thank you. And it's a special time now because after almost 19 years of service, Victoria is going to be retiring at the end of the month in November. So congratulations on the retirement and all those good years of service for us. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. It's bittersweet. I'm sad yes. to leave Wayne, but I'm excited for the new chapter. Yep. Anybody who touches the heart of Wyndham, you get that bittersweet beauty. Oh, it's beautiful. And, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the whole community and recovery. And that's what Wayne is working with is how the spirit moves recovery to families in need. Uh, so maybe a starting point is a special event comes up. They have a special event in the winter. It's called the Walk for Warmth. That might be a good thing because it's this weekend. Sure, yes. Please. This is our 31st yep. Walk for Warmth. It's on Saturday. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I have a cold. Excuse me. I'm a little fuzzy. Uh -huh. um, Sunday, November 19th. Right. Um, registration starts at 12.30 until 1.30. Then we have an interfaith Thanksgiving service. That's usually a beautiful service that a number of different faith communities participate in. And then they, that kicks off the Walk for Warmth, which is an easy two-mile walk around Willimantic. And um, all the money that we raise, and that's that what we're doing it for is to raise money. That's right. It's for our energy assistance and our housing assistance funds. Those are the two areas where we see the greatest need, and those are the two areas that it's most expensive to help people in. Right, right. Yeah. So that might be a good point to reflect on because Victoria is, you know, almost 19 years of service. And in this town, that's a lot of activity and a lot of change. Can you talk about some of the larger changes you've noticed and then what's still the same? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, I think overall basic needs are basic needs. So that really hasn't changed. But what's really has changed is the cost of providing service um, and the number of people who are in need. Mm -hmm. uh, housing is just one of the issues that we are have really been struggling with, especially since COVID. Um, during COVID, there was a lot of money out there. A lot of people had um, were able to access assistance. Um, since then, though, those funds have dried up, and a lot of rents have gone up. Quite and good. people, especially people on fixed incomes, just are not able to make ends meet. I've had clients whose rents have gone up $400 a month for one person on yeah. a fixed income, yeah. seniors, yeah. like th who have had to give up their cars and are now homebound because they can't afford to pay the rent. Um, and the unfortunate piece of this is, is that there used to be more programs out there that could help people with rental assistance. Those programs have dried up as well, and the funding for those programs has dried up. So right now, the only way in Willimantic, because we've all run out of funds today, is you have to be involved in the eviction process in order to get assistance through Unite CT, which is the state-run program. Right. So you have to be at the very end of a legal process. You have to be in. I don't know if it, at which point, right. but you have had to be served eviction papers yeah. at least. So this is a very broad question, but what disappeared? This used to be called the safety net because <laughs> at one level there was funding for it. And it kind of and it's not just COVID money because everybody got lots of COVID money. Education got COVID and that's all being pulled back. Right. But this goes before COVID, right? Right, but right. I think that the number 
even if we go back to the pre-COVID levels, the number of people needing help is higher. So you, you, there's not enough to spread around to everybody who actually needs the assistance. Now, as why are more people needing help? That's a bigger question than I can answer, quite honestly. Are, are the jobs out there? Are good paying jobs out there? Are, do people have the type of education that they need to succeed in the system and become more sustainable? So there, there are a lot of a lot of answers to that question, but there, there is a tremendous need. And um, it, it, I think it's going to re remain here. One thing that we were doing, I mentioned this to you before, John, yeah. was the, I think it was either during COVID or just after COVID, they started uh, distributing the child tax credit yes. to parents um, on a monthly basis. And I believe it was around $200 per child. And this is a, was a federal program, if I'm not mistaken. That was fantastic. Our numbers went down significantly during that period. People were able to pay their rent. People were able to pay their bills much better than they are now. Right. And then it just stopped. And that's losing a lot of income for someone who's already struggling to make ends meet in a very, very um, challenging economy. Yeah. You know, you were talking about housing before, and the situation for renters is getting very dire. Uh, something we've covered on the program, some of you may have seen that there are tenant unions forming. There's one in Putnam. There's one here in Willimannock. There's about 10, I think, now across the state. And they're trying to say it's more than one landlord. And, you know, what does the landlord do when the tenants can't pay rent, but the landlord has to pay to maintain the building? Right. So it's like lose-lose, right? Mm -hmm. So you get to hear it when it breaks down. Right, right. <laughs> we do. So when someone knocks on the door today in November 2023, what are the kinds of help that you can provide? And I want to talk about how that ties into interfaith work and, and like, many faiths working together as well. Sure. Yeah. Um one of our staples, our core program, is material goods. That's what Wayne started with. So we get a lot of donations of gently used clothing and furniture, um, appliances, household items. Um, and we have a very large building on Main Street here in Willimantic. 866. That's right. Main Street. Exactly, where we uh, store all those things and display them, and people can come and shop three days a week. It's Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 a.m. till noon, and then the first Saturday of the month. And everything that we have to offer is for free. So people give us our donations, and then we distribute them into the community for free. Right. That's the number one. Um, we also do have emergency assistance programs. Uh, energy assistance is a big one, and we are still providing energy assistance, although in that area... We are the safety net for the safety net. So we do encourage anyone who needs energy assistance to go to Access first because they are the agency that is the recipient of any government funding. Like Operation Fuel? Or well, we can do Operation Fuel, and I believe you can even do Operation I'm not going to say this, but yes, yeah. we can help with Operation Fuel. But even before Operation Fuel, Access gets the it, it um, administers the Connecticut Energy Assistance Program. So I would say that that's the first stop. And if you don't qualify for that, then you can come to WAME and we'll be able to help you, either through Operation Fuel or through funds that we raise, through events like the Walk for Warmth or from donors. Yeah. 
So there's those things, and um, we also have a mentoring program, an adult mentoring program, that we started about 10 years ago. And the reason why we got involved in adult mentoring because it became obvious to us that a lot of people need more than just the one touch, and there's no... There's no real resources for a long-term case management to help people kind navigate. Absolutely. Right. And to really have someone to depend upon to ask questions of and to share, who can share their wisdom and their life experience with you to help you build your life. So we have a, 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 an adult mentoring program called Partners in Independence. We have about 10 matches going on at any time, right? And uh, Merle Pachinski, who I believe you know, mm -hmm. is the director of that program. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. It's, it's long and hard, but the benefits are tremendous. Um, and what else do we do? Lots of holiday programs. Uh, sure. You can look on our website it's if you're interested. Right now, it's really sure. busy right now. In fact, that's a good question I was going to ask you, but you brought up the website. Like a lot of people are using their websites to really reinforce all their activity. Can you talk about what's there and maybe mention what the website is so people can stay sure. in touch your Sure. Please vid visit us often. It's www.wame.com. That's W-A-I-M-C-T dot org. And you can also Google Wynda Mary Interfaith Ministry, and it'll right. show you where our website is. Right. So right now, if you go on our website, it's going to tell you all about our programs, the ones I just mentioned, who we help. It's going to tell you about the events that we do. We do the steeplechase in the uh, late summer with perception programs and the no freeze and we do the walk for warmth now and then sometimes there are other events that come up occasionally um, you can also register for the walk for warmth on our website and by registering online you can also do your fundraising for the event online as well it's a great little system they have you register through RunReg and then they automatically set up a fundraising page for you on PledgeReg so it makes it easy to raise money yeah. By the way, I want to mention, in case you're joining us on the radio here on Not TV, we're speaking today with Victoria Nemirowski. She's the director at the Window Area Interfaith Ministry. And I want to mention, too, the interfaith part, because a lot of people think, well, each particular faith has its own focus, its own energy, and they don't often overlap. But in this area, you found that's a source of great strength. Absolutely. Can you talk about how that works and how that's an example of how all the issues of politics or religion really, if you're doing it the right way, a lot of the politics disappears. There's, you know, we live in a very special community here. And I think that the way that our faith communities work together is one really great indicator of that. Wayne started because a handful of faith communities got together because they saw it. This was in the 80s. I think we, we started legally in 1984, so they were thinking about all of this mm -hmm. beforehand. And they were seeing that a lot of useful items were just getting thrown into the landfills. And, you know, we weren't as aware of environmental waste then as we are now. We're but these, so, these folks were. Yeah. So um, that's one of the first things that they did was start collecting material goods and then giving them to families who needed them so that those families could save their money and spend it on other necessities, right? right. That's what we still do. So... Over time, we grew to about 40 faith communities that supported us. And in the heyday, which was right around the time I came in, they were a very significant part of our budget. We've grown significantly 
over those last 18 or 19 years. But unfortunately, the, a lot of the faith communities have shrunk. You mentioned it like... There are less people attending. There, yes, yes, there are less people, and there are aging people. A lot of the faith communities have uh, aging congregations. So even though they may not support us as much financially, they still do support us financially. And, you know, sometimes it might be a, a, a church might give us, I don't know, a small church, $400 a year, and then a larger uh, church will give us a few thousand dollars a year, but they always participate in our events. They are the ones who adopt the families. They are the ones who buy the gifts for teens and the back-to-school program where we give uniforms to kids um, before the school year starts. And they're also, we also have, the way WAME is structured, our governance is there's WAME, and then we have our board of directors, but our board of directors the, the body that oversees that is our board of delegates, and that includes two members from every faith community that participates with WAME. So oh, wow. the beauty of this relationship is that we meet three times a year. They hear from us what we think is going on in the community and where we see the need, and then they bring that back to their congregations. So it really does spread the word it's out. Like it kind of is a circuit. And yeah. then if there are people in their communities that need something, they come to us, but they also know that this is a vehicle for them to be able to help the communities that we live in. So it's really a beautiful model, and there's nothing like it, certainly not anywhere east of the river, and um, anywhere that I know of, that's exactly like Wayne. Yeah. Well, this is a great story to share, and I've had Victoria on several times over the years. Maybe one last question, Victoria, while we sure. have you is the idea of unfinished business. With all the things that have been accomplished, and there's a huge list of that, you always have important things that you still wish could be resolved. So what's your wish list for your successors and the people ahead? Well, it's something we just started working on a few months ago, but we have right now one angel donor who is very interested in helping us build some affordable housing. So, um, and we're not talking a huge development. Right now we're looking at a three or four family project. What we want to do is make a totally green house for these folks. We want to make sure that it's green, A, because we love the environment and we want to stay healthy, and B, because it's a lot more economically efficient if you're living in somewhere that's energy efficient. Um, and part of the program that we want for this housing is that when folks pay their rent on time and are good tenants, they will accumulate, it's kind of like a renter's rebate, but mm -hmm. it's more like just, you know, so you pay your rent every month, we'll give you $100 a month in a set aside mm -hmm. for that rent or whatever, so that by the time they leave, they'll have, if after three years, they may have $5,000 yeah. to take with them. And if they leave after six years, it might be $10,000. So, so it's a, a really, it's a credit and it's an incentive um, because we punish people all the time, but we don't provide enough incentives for them to, to, to live the way we expect folks to live in this society. Yeah. So I'm very excited about it, and I'm sure that um, it's going to happen. I know that it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for being here, Victoria. Thank we you, John. Thank, you. Thank you very much. You You're listening to a special edition of On the Home Front. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us.
Well, right now in the studio, I'm very happy to share some time here with Mike Westerfield. He is a resident of our town for many years, among other things, a historian and researcher. And he's just published his third book, which I'm holding right here. It's about Israel Putnam, America's first folk hero. And we're going to have Michael talk about the story of the book. And sometime in the winter or spring, he's going to give a talk about this. So, Michael, thanks for all the work you do. I've been encouraged in recent years. More people seem to be curious about connecting to the past in different ways, whether it's food or transportation, just trying to connect the dots. And you do this a lot in, in, in the kind of research you do. So maybe a starting point is your work in history and how this one person's story just captivated you where it became an entire book. Right. I did a book previously on the poorhouse system in Connecticut, and uh, particularly with the town farm in Willimantic, right. which was an amazing institution for many years. And uh, I was thinking, as we're approaching the 250th anniversary of the United States, yes. that doing something on the uh, uh, characters in Connecticut history, the lesser-known characters in Connecticut history, at least nowadays, and I was going to put together a book on several people, Thomas Knowlton from Ashford, who was uh, Nathan Hale's boss. And, <laughs> there you go. Yep, and his, the Boy Scout camp out there is his farm, and various other people like that. And I, I thought first I would start with Israel Putnam, because he was from Brooklyn, and he has a monumental statue out there. And um, that uh, so I started looking into him, and he is such a fascinating character. He was a man who, like Forrest Gump, if anything was happening, he was there, mm -hmm. and usually leading it. And uh, during his time, at the time, going into Bunker Hill, the Battle of Bunker Hill, he was probably the most famous American in the world. And now he's totally, almost totally forgotten. Wow. He uh, you know, went into the French and Indian War as a private um, and uh, came out as a colonel, and wound up at the time at when the American army was finally formed, just before Bunker Hill, right. he was one of the first major generals. He was the only major general besides Washington who was unanimously appointed by Congress. He was that well known. And um, he was, the at the time of the revolution, there was this big idea about Roman Republican ideas, mm -hmm. and he was seen as the new Cincinnatus. He was the common man who left his farm and went off to war mm -hmm. and saved the country and then put everything down and returned to, the, right. to, the, to his plow again. And then when Lexington and Concord happened, he left his plow standing in the field and rode off to Concord and, and led the, the forces there. Kind of like Sergeant York having his convergence. <laughs> exactly, you know? yes. Uh, I guess there's a point for the gun after all. Uh, now, you call him a folk hero, and you know you think about certain figures. In his day, what was it that got the message out when we're media overloaded today? Back then, it was opposite polarity. What was it that made him a folk hero that got to be such a scale at that time? Well, during going through the French and Indian War, he had a series of adventures that made anybody else's adventures they've had since then just a pale copy of his. He was at one time captured and tied to a tree and being burnt at the stake by, by Indians. He, he rode a, a boat down the river like uh, 
in the African Queen running the rapids. Oh, he, really? He was a, a ranger. You know, he worked with Rogers Rangers, and uh, he was the first person to the uh, Fort William Henry, which is the scene of uh, that's where the last of the Mohegans started. He was the first person to arrive there after the massacre, and you know, he was involved in everything that went on. In, and this was real stuff. This is real stuff. So it's like one of a kind kind of exactly, guy. yeah. And uh, at that time, there was a a popular press. There were a number of uh, images of him circulating, engravings of him circulating the major right. general from you know the, right. the war. And uh, but we didn't have the penny press yet. That was still kind of a new thing. Right. Yeah. Like, they had a mm -hmm. newspaper. Yeah, there were newspapers, and there were. Uh, he was covered in the press, and all his activities were there. And uh, he is, uh, he, right from the very beginning, his family was involved in so many of the things that happened in America. His father and his uncle, his uncle Thomas um, Putnam and his daughter Anne, were two of the accusers in the Salem witchcraft trials. Accusers. His accusers. His family lived in Salem, and his father, Joseph, was an opponent of the trials. So much so that he, during one of the trials was going on, he kept a, his horse saddled in the stable and his gun loaded. Just in case. Just in case, right? That could be an interesting Thanksgiving dinner. Huh? Yes, right. Wow. Well, you know, that happens today, too, when you get our own national polarities, strong feelings, mm -hmm. people dividing around the table. Here you go. Same kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, um, and 100 years ago, everyone in the country knew about him. Uh, his statue that's on the cover of the book uh, was the first statue that was installed in Bushnell Park in uh, Hartford. And uh, his statue, his monument in Brooklyn is one of the largest statu equestrian statues around. He's actually buried in the base of it. Oh, incredible. He was buried originally in the graveyard with one of those t tablet stones. Uh, right. And uh, his site was so popular that uh, visitors kept chipping pieces off his tombstone. Wow. And so eventually it was no longer square. It was kind of oval, and it was removed. It's now in a case in the old state house, and they um, replaced the, the tablet on top, but they moved his body to the base of the statue, the, the Uji Christian statue in Brooklyn, and... Um, during that period, did you have any sense within Connecticut what the differences were among different parts of the state, politically, economically? Because people made their money in different ways. They, they raised their food in different ways. What was life back then in terms of social unity or folks feeling that we're part of a state as well as a new nation? Well, this part of the state where Putnam was was primarily agrarian. Right. You get down to the coast, you have all your shipping and trading. Uh, people like Silas Dean who were involved in trade around the world. And um, yeah. the the states themselves did have a very serious identity. You, you saw there was Massachusetts. Massachusetts was very different than Connecticut. And New York, oh, they were, they were the Yorkers. They were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And um, Rhode Island and... It's much worse than, like, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox. Oh, definitely. Much more serious. So when they appointed the major generals, uh, Washington was appointed first, and then Congress selected four major generals. At the time we went into Bunker Hill, there was no American army. That was part of the reason that the whole battle was so confused. Yeah. Nobody knew who was in command or who could obey anyone. But they appointed uh, 
Lee from Virginia, um, Skyler from New York, um, Ward from Massachusetts, and Putnam from Connecticut. You know, the four important states at the time. Right. And uh, the armies of each of those uh, states were very colonies at the time were, were all very different and didn't necessarily work together very well. By the way, I want to mention, if you're listening to us on the radio right now, we're speaking with Michael Westerfield, and he's recently published this new book, Israel Putnam, America's First Folk Hero. It's a biography and travel guide, and I wanted to ask you about the travel guide aspect, and also, how did you go through the process of self-publishing and trying to communicate Mm -hmm. through your own process, just how that works for you as a writer? Yeah, the travel guide is is one of the cool aspects of this book. I like writing books that I'd like to read, so that um, you have a biography, and he did lots of things in this area. His whole life was spent in this area, though, actually. He did indeed get to Cuba and and out to uh, Nashville, Nashville, um, up the Mississippi River Mm -hmm. in South Florida. He was all around, but um, here... There are any number of sites that are of interest in his life. One of the most famous ones is the Wolf Den. Okay. That's one of the things that Israel Putnam is remembered for nowadays, the primary thing he's remembered for nowadays, is slaying the last wolf in Connecticut, right. in which he tracked the wolf down to its den. And the Wolf Den is still there out in, I guess it's located in Pomfret's. His property went right to the line that's Brooklyn and Pomfret. Uh, it's right on that line. So, But... Uh, they tracked down the wolf to its wolf den, and it was this, in a rocky area, and it's a narrow, low den, which I crawled into to, to see how far I could go. But he apparently crawled into the wolf den with his musket and his torch, facing the wolf in there, and uh, wow. shot the wolf in its den. and um, Dragged it out. And then still existing is his major house out in, that he built out in... Um, Pomfret is still there. Brooklyn now uh, is still there. His, his um, site of his tavern, the his brother's house or his son's house is actually still there. Um, the church that he was involved in building is that big white church in uh, Brooklyn. And um, you can, glancing through the travel guide here, Wadsworth Athenaeum. That's his, built in the house of Daniel Wadsworth. Um, that and was one of the very first museums in the country. It right? was. One of the very, very first. And uh, that's the site where Israel Putnam's career finally ended. He had a stroke as he was riding back to uh, to join the army. He came home to, wow. to visit for a while and was riding back and he had a stroke. And he was brought to the house of his friend Wadsworth, which is where the Wadsworth Athenaeum is now. The Oh, and one of his famous <laughs> exploits was that... Um, he was camped with a group of his, uh, traveling with a group of his soldiers in the vicinity of uh, Greenwich, and uh, they, he was caught surrounded by the British, and uh, the he managed to get his men to disperse into the swamps, and then he was on horseback and he turned around and rode his horse down this huge steep slope, a set of like seventy rough-cut granite stairs in the hillside. And uh, escaped the British that way. And the, the stairs are still there. And the pa- tavern he was staying in is still there. It's a Hollywood moment there. Uh, yes, huh? it was indeed. That's yeah. actually on the Greenwich Town Seal is a picture of him riding down the hillside. <laughs> and just glancing. Oh, here, the, 
there is Putnam Memorial State Park, which is the site of one of his encampments, his winter encampments. And it's, a, it's actually a great site to visit because it's one of the few places where you can see the remains of all the cabins of the soldiers. There's a whole street of uh, the, the remains of their fireplaces are there. And uh, there's, there's this a statue there of yeah. uh, his wild ride. Yeah. Now, last thing, Michael, is how can people learn more? Is this part of a blog? How are you using the technology today to either archive your work or share it in some way? I know you've done other projects. You've done so great work with the mills. But if people wanted to follow your work in history and local stuff, how's the best way to stay in touch? Books. Yeah. I've been hanging on my wall a page of a book from 1543. It's still there. My floppy disks are worthless, <laughs> but paper books will be here. This book will be here. So a copy of this book will surely be here a great number of years from now. Yeah. And uh, I'm a Luddite when it comes to technology. I certainly use it in producing yeah. the books. And, uh, but, uh, so I know these copies are at the Willie Food Co-op. They have a section there for local writers. Yes, and they can get them at the Mill Museum. Right. And they're also on sale at the Willimantic Records. And as much as I'm not very fond of Amazon, you can get it on Amazon. Right, right. Great, great to be here. Thanks so much. You're welcome. I want to thank Mike Westerfield for helping me close the program this week. On the Home Front airs every Wednesday at 5 p.m. on WILI, AM 1400, 95.3 on the FM. If you'd like to be a guest, if you have news to share, just use the email, john at humanartsmedia.com, and we'll be happy to have you in the studio. Thanks again for listening all year, and we'll see you next week. Keep the faith.